Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to the first installment in our Denis Villeneuve movie review series. Today we are reviewing August 32nd on Earth. This is your co-host Corbin. And I'm Alan. And we are building up to Denis' new film coming out this October. It is the sci-fi epic Dune, which is probably my most anticipated movie of 2021 i can't wait for it i'm also still just a little sad because technically we should have saw this last year this should be sitting on my shelf right now i should have the 4k disc of it but this is kind of a blessing in disguise because it lets us build up to this new movie it lets us go back and look at all of his other movies we have already reviewed Blade Runner 2049. We have also reviewed Prisoners. So those uh, Blade Runner 2049 is available. We're going to wait to release Prisoners because that's a different one. We're going to kind of record a new introduction talking about just <laughs> I'll be curious to go back and listen to that with you, Alan, mm-hmm. and see how uh, the podcast has matured that review came out four years ago listeners and it was actually a paid review we're going to make it free for this retrospective series just curious to see what that's been like but if you're wanting to hear us talk about scores for the movie the critical praise different things like that the production of it that is in your guide to august 32nd on earth that is the first link in the description below and while you're down there make sure to check the timestamps. if you want to jump ahead jump straight into our thoughts you can jump straight to the conclusion that easily helps you jump around also we have a curated list of podcasts we think you would like to listen to after this one down there as well. We have the next four weeks of the schedule and then, of course, a link to the entire schedule of 2021. That is subject to change, of course, because movies keep moving around. So we're working with that. And of course, we are on all major podcast platforms, social media platforms as well. So links to those are down there also. And then of course, if you want to financially support us, get some great bonus content, just more of an intimate space for true SSG fans to interact with us on, you know, a deeper level, then that's over on our Patreon page. Link to that in the description also. So there's tons of stuff down there. It's just not the description of what the episode is about. There's tons of stuff down there. And then of course, a free way to support us is no matter where you're listening at, leave us a five-star rating and a short written review. That written review actually does help in the rankings along with those five stars. So one of our goals is to be verified critics on Rotten Tomatoes and Rotten Tomatoes looks at how many ratings you have. You have to have a certain number of ratings and maintain a certain level. So no matter where you're at, just take it only takes two seconds. Scroll down to the bottom of the podcast, click those five stars, and there you go. It's a great way to help us. Well, Alan, we were uh we I don't know what you could call us, toddlers, I guess, when this movie came out. Um Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that'd be an accurate uh yeah, we'd be about that age, toddler age. I was definitely let's see, this came out May 21st, it looks like. 
when it, at least that's when it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would have been um, two years old, a little over two years old. <laughs> yeah, I would have been. I would have been three actually at that point. Mm-hmm. A little over three, coming up on three and a half. Definitely uh, wouldn't have comprehended this movie. But yeah, and it was also and it was also pretty much impossible to get your hands on unless you were at the those film festivals where it played or you lived up in Quebec or Montreal or something like that. But now that you're old enough to comprehend this trailer, just seeing the trailer, what do you think? Is this look intriguing to you? It does a little bit. Um, I, of course, wouldn't know the name Denis Villeneuve. Um, it's in, nope. given that this is his first film. Um, if I was, if I had access to, to like go and participate in the Cannes Film Festival, um, I probably would have checked this one out. I, I wonder what else came out that year at Cannes, but yeah, I would probably be really curious about this one. Um, I'm not sure how curious, but at least a little bit curious to at least see if I can go and watch it. So a little bit. I'm interested by the trailer. Yeah, I think the trailer looks fantastic. It really does look like my kind of movie. It looks funny, off the wall, romantic, intriguing, and great cinematography. I really enjoy finding these kind of movies that nobody's like really heard about, or Mm -hmm. they've kind of been lost to time in a certain way, Uh, particularly 90s movies. You know, that's when I was growing up. I love going back and rediscovering those movies. So this trailer would, if if it was possible, this trailer would have got me in theaters, if not definitely got me to rent it from my local Hollywood video. But Alan, we should tell the listeners up front, I've never heard of this movie before. I just remember we've been mulling a Denis uh, movie review series for quite some time now. We yep. just adore Blade Runner 2049 and the original Blade Runner as well. So mm-hmm. we will link to those reviews so you can just hear us gush or those movies. We've been mulling this for a while. So these names have been popping up, but I didn't know a thing about this movie. I had never seen any footage about this movie until this review. Yeah, I knew about it. Um, I think I when I really got into Denise stuff would have been after Prisoners. Because um, I watched Prisoners and then I think I watched Arrival. And that's when I was like, okay, who is this director? I need to figure out you know, who this guy is because I'm really liking his stuff. And that's when I did a little bit of searching and I found August 32nd. And then I also found um, his film that we'll record next week, which was Maelstrom. And I never really got to watch them up until now. And I'm kind of with you. I never really saw any footage of these either, even though the trailer is on IMDb. Um, so, yeah, I guess for both of us, this is our first like experience with, you know, Denise first film so it's i'm kind of excited to see you know now that i know of course where he's going to end up because of you know the films that i've seen from him and of course the ones that we've also uh talked about already on this podcast i'm curious to see you know what his stuff is going to be like going back because if it's anything like christopher nolan he always it'll, it'll start off strong um and be really promising which of course will only build as as their careers you know go on from here so yeah, I'm really curious about August 32nd, watching it from a director that, you know, I, I really do enjoy, um, but this is back before he was really well known at all. 
Well, listeners, if you haven't seen August 32nd on Earth, which there's a pretty good chance that you have not, at least most of you haven't, um, the way that we watched it is it's actually um, streaming on Mubi. That is just another streaming service. Um, you can actually get a free trial of it, so you could technically watch this movie for free. Go ahead and check it out, and then come back and click play here on the podcast, and we'll be talking about all the spoilers. On August 32nd, a young model named Simone crashes her car on the way to the airport. She's supposed to fly to Italy, but this near-death experience has given her a new outlook on life. She visits her boss, Monica, who is in the middle of a tanning session, when she tells her she quits, and her next decision on August 33rd is to get her on-again, off-again boy toy, Philippe, to have a baby with her. See, Philippe is also discontent with life. He's tried everything. This time, he's considering dropping out of medicine. When the two meet up, she brings the whole baby thing on him, but he reminds her they agreed only at age 30, whereas she's 26, and he's already found someone, Juliet. But he's always been in love with Simone. So he's willing to leave Juliet, but only on one condition. They make a baby like normal people. In the desert. <laughs> they hop on a plane to Salt Lake City, Utah, arriving the next day on August 34th, where they meet a crooked cab driver who swindles them out of a few hundred dollars and leaves them stranded in the desert. On their long, hot trek back to civilization, Simone goes out into the bushes to relieve herself when she's startled by a dead body, handcuffed and burned alive. Philippe finds a 911 emergency phone reporting the murder to the police. Finally, someone picks them up, takes them to the airport where Philippe writes a goodbye letter to Simone in a bathroom stall. They are put on standby to leave the next morning, so they try sleeping at the airport, but when that fails, they rent a space-age Japanese hotel room. There, they get crazy drunk, and he gives her the letter. Simone is heartbroken, and the two seem to call it quits, for good this time. On August 35th, back home in Montreal, on his way to likely see Juliet, Philippe gets beaten up by three punks late at night, right when Simone calls him, asking him to please come over. The next day on August 36th, at the hospital, Simone is told he may never come back from his dire situation. Sometime later, on September 5th, she mulls in her apartment about what to do with their newfound terrible predicament. On September 9th, she makes her decision. She visits him in the hospital, promising to make love to him as credits roll. So I gotta say, um, this is a very interesting story. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Simone, um, one, after, you know finding a new outlook on life because of her near-death experience in a car wreck, um, decides that she wants to make a baby for legacy's <laughs> sake, I guess. That's a really strange story, and that's what the whole thing is based around, is them going on this big adventure um, to hopefully maybe end up, you know, having a baby by the end of the story. Um, <laughs> it's a strange, um, it's a strange story. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because, you know, if there is anything I can say that this film definitely is not, I can say is definitely not cliche. This is by far, at least for a first film, um, from a first, from a first time director, rather unique and somewhat original, which is very surprising and does, like I mentioned, like with Christopher Nolan with this first film, it's pretty promising for, you know, what their career would end up being later on in their life. So 
It's a weird, weird story, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad that it is at least somewhat unique um, and, you know, rather interesting uh, because that only paves the way for what's going to happen next. I think it's even stranger when you go into the movie not knowing what the plot is because yeah. that's exactly how I did it. I just popped it on. I didn't know a thing about this movie except it had an interesting title. It takes place on a day that isn't a day. There is no such mm. thing as August 32nd. And like I said, it goes all the way up to August 36th until it seems to come back to reality on September 5th. And then it finally ends on September 9th. So this does take place over a few days. I think, um, I think that is one of the film's strengths is kind of delineating those times and making it feel like they are really moving through this time out of time. And it is weird. It's a weird plot because at first I am getting almost these like Hitchcock, almost David Lynch vibes where she like yep. flips her car. I'm getting uh, kind of the beginning honestly reminds me of Memento, Nolan's mm -hmm. second film, where I'm like, oh, man, is she going to have amnesia? The style of the opening, I just am not quite sure where this movie is going to take me until it starts to get lighthearted. And then it does become this weird trek to, you know, kind of t come to terms with growing up and they like these two people think growing up just has to do with like making a baby but they realize there's a lot more to life than that right and you did mention david lynch um i definitely got some mulholland drive vibes off of this opening because yep. yeah that also car opens crash. with a car um and a, yeah mm -hmm. a car crash um and stuff so that's where i was thinking is it's already kind of strange and it already has like and this film also at the same time has some like a dream like vibe to it, right? Because it's yeah. taking place, like you mentioned, a time outside of time, right? The month of August just kind of keeps going, um, just keeps going on and like seemingly never ends. You know, from August 32nd all the way up to the August 36th when it finally breaks it and gets into September. So it's like it's got like this almost um, dreamlike vibe to it. This very Lynchian um, because I you know he all, a lot of times will play with you know that like the mind bending kind of psychological angle of a story. So that was one of the things I really enjoyed was, you know, it's strange and it feels like it's almost not real in some ways because this adventure is so wacky. Like, you know, this pair, this couple decide to go to Salt Lake City to have a baby in the middle of a desert um, because that's the only way that, you know, Philippe will actually go through with it. Um, it, it just, it's weird, right? Like the no, and no, no one's right mind would they really do that, right? It's, it's, it gives off this really strange dreamlike vibe that feels very Lynchian. And lest anyone think Villeneuve took from Lynch, that's not true. If anything, Lynch got inspiration from this, which I'm sure he's seen this movie because Mulholland Drive wouldn't come out till 2001, but right. you're right. Simone's a model, the, um, one of the, the main character in the beginning of Mulholland Drive is seemingly an actress just maybe these characters have amnesia um i was also even thinking before mahalan drive i was also thinking this like a uh, blue velvet kind of feel yeah. yeah because it just like you said um blue velvet came out in 86 by the way and that takes place in mm, it's kind of a fantasy but it's also a dark very different anyways 
that's for maybe a potential David Lynch movie review series. Right. But I got to say, this opening is shot incredibly well. In fact, mm-hmm. the whole movie has like such realistic colors to it where I just feel like the skin tones, the grass, the sky, it just looks fantastic. It really looks like we're just there and it does it's not like poppy like 4K colors. It's just yeah. this very down to earth just visceral just tones are so natural it looks like. Yeah. Um especially yeah. these opening green colors. Uh, I got to say I'm highly impressed how well this movie looks. Yeah, I agree. And I know that um my well, at least my favorite part of this whole story is when uh, they get to the desert or the salt desert or whatever you want to call oh, yeah. it. Um, and it's like them almost like on this blank slate of almost like basically nothing, it feels like. Um, and you get some really, really interesting shots of either like one of them when they, fi- when they first walk away um, from the taxi, it goes from one side of the taxi and there's a tracking shot to the other side of the taxi as it follows the taxi driver as he goes from one side to the other. And we have the taxi on one side of the screen and then the couple on the other side of the screen, they flop places. And then later when it's just the pair, the two of them, you get some really pretty shots of them like like in the middle of nowhere on this blank slate again. Um, that looks very, very pretty. So yeah, you're right. From Even from a um, even from a visual standpoint, it already has promise of uh, of Denis Villeneuve, you know, being some kind of visionary when it comes to making his films. Yeah, you're right. This film looks very, very, it's very, very well shot and looks very, very good. I absolutely agree on that. Yeah, and the cinematographer is Andre Turpin. I, He's also from Quebec. He did shoot Incendies with Denis, which is considered one of Denis' greatest films. So I'm pretty excited to see these two reunite and um, Mm -hmm. for him to get Andre Turpin back for the cinematography. But it is unique. It's not just well done, nor is it really copying too much of, you know, more modern things. If anything, it is taking a page out of Hitchcock, where Hitchcock does really high shots of different things. I mean, go back and watch um, North by Northwest, Mm -hmm. um, The Man Who Knew Too Much, different movies like that where he offers these really large perspective scenes where you see multiple things going on at the same time. I think what makes this kind of unique is that we're almost looking at these people like they're ants just yeah and uh, certain shots especially there's some super high shots in the desert look that look great and then there is also these shots where the characters are like sitting crisscross on the salt flats and it's not like we're looking down at them it's like we're literally it's like sitting crisscross with them and they're both framed really well in those shots so I gotta say, Alan, as far as I can tell, I have really never seen a first-time director be able to make a movie that looks this good, not even Christopher Nolan with following by a long shot. Um, Yeah, because Christopher Nolan, too, like, you know, he is, uh, even though he went on to be one of, at least one of the best visionaries when it comes to American film, uh, yeah, you're right, his first film didn't really look like this. Not say it was necessarily bad, poorly shot, but it didn't look like this. Mm-mm, no. And, you know, there's also um, when they're talking about making a baby and love and just life while they're walking down the alleyway. That's almost one shot. There mm-hmm. is a little bit of editing that kind of splits it up there towards their end of their walk down the alleyway. 
But once again, that just shows that Denis understands how to create a one shot, it seems like, how to keep us reeled in and how to keep these actors, the chemistry going between them because there really is this chemistry. I honestly believe that Simone and Philippe have a history, kind of have a troubled history where she's 26, she's this young model. He is clearly very smart, but he doesn't quite know what to do with his life. He's four years older than her. He's 30. And uh, it's, it's a great scene. Um, just the camera work as well. Mm. Um, just continuing on with this camera work or not even camera work, actually the editing, just to talk about that a little bit too. Um, it's really unique when he is in his apartment and Juliet is in his bathtub and he's like, oh, yeah. what are you doing here? And yeah. then he wants to get advice from his roommate about what to do with Simone. And there's an edit where he's outside the room. It cuts to him looking in the room and then it cuts back to him like pulling out of the room before he goes in. Just that, right. just the way the um, camera doesn't even move, but way, the way it's edited gives that sense of like motion that really catches your attention. Yeah, they do utilize a lot of jump cuts. And like this is kind of like a late 90s, early 2000s, someone, some kind of a thing. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes films would do this. But you're right, this one like overuses that to like, like it's a degree where it's like really noticeable. And I, I can tell it's definitely on purpose. Um, right. Yeah, you're right. It does. It is very unique in that aspect with its editing and how it kind of cuts things together. Even in the opening, it'll kind of cut back to something real quick only for like a few, um, only for like, half a second and then cut back again. And I think one of the big, one big example is when it cuts to the headlights as they're like fading in and out. Um, mm -hmm. But that's like throughout the whole film where it'll, uh, with that, that kind of thing will happen. And then also it'll like it'll jump cut to a lot of things where it's like the same angle, but it's like a different, a slightly different moment in time. Um, yeah. It's, it's got this really strange, it's, it's this movie is very early 2000s um, or late 90s, early, early 2000s. Um, but I would say that almost like helps it out in some way because like going along with that dreamlike aspect of it that I that I see in this movie, um, and being how old that you know you and I are, we we grew up in that grew up in that time. It definitely you know only helps out the film more when it has these kind of time qualities to it, where really when we do the, did those kind of things in like a few years ago, um, but it only it almost like just helps it out in that way kind of give it that weird vibe but also somewhat nostalgic kind of like a, like again a dreamlike story to it yeah and aside from the editing these main characters clothes don't look very 90s to me there is a scene where philippe's in a cafe and you could tell like oh my gosh yeah a lot of these people's clothes are strictly found in the 90s that's the that's the really only thing outside of the editing that might date this film but mm -hmm. That's the thing that I, I also found to be very impressive is this film doesn't quite feel like it's locked into a time period per se, outside right. of those things that we clearly know were from that time. But this movie, it almost seems like it could have been done in the 80s. It seems like it could have been done either in the 80s, 90s, or somewhere in the early 2000s. I think he does bring a very timeless quality to this stuff that makes this movie seem a little older and more mature than it is, especially since mm -hmm. Denise, like about 30 years old, probably when he's shooting this, he really seems to know what he's doing with this. Um, but Alan, I gotta know, what do you think how this, 
so I, I'm taken aback, honestly, because like I said, I'm okay. like, oh man, okay, I'm in for this Hitchcockian Lynch, Mulholland Drive type movie. And then all of a sudden there's this like tonal shift into more of a comedic elements. There's kind of that comedy when the pager goes off in the cafe and mm-hmm. it's surprisingly funny in some stuff. Like when he's talking to his roommate and his roommate's like, leave me alone. I'm trying to sleep. I don't give a care about this. Um, you know, I helped you get over her. She broke your heart. And then the right. next thing it cuts to him running out of the apartment where it's, it's this movie's actually funny. I'm surprised about that. What did you think about that? Yeah, no, I was surprised too, because like you mentioned in this opening, it kind of paints it to be more of a serious film. And then not long after that opening, it starts cracking jokes. Um, it's kind of strange. And, you know, given what Denis would do later on in his life, like a movie like Prisoners, which is a very heavy film, um, I have expected it. In fact, and actually, I, I really did expect it to be more of like a heavy hitting movie. Um, one that's a bit, you know, definitely not a comedy in any way. Um, at least not to me. I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting it to be a more serious kind of film, which it <laughs> ends up not really being any anything like that. So yeah, I was kind of taken away. I didn't know that it was going to be a comedy until, you know, it started getting into things. And especially when it hit the the diner scene with he has his pager and everyone, everyone's checking to see if it was them or whatever. Um, he goes, oh, it's me, it's me, it's me. Um, that's when I was like, okay, I guess this is a comedy. I guess this is, <laughs> uh, I didn't know that, uh, I, I didn't expect this to be a thing. Uh, like at all with you know considering his other stuff um i'm curious to know i'm curious to see you know if denis would do if he did a comedy nowadays you know i wonder what it would be like because as far as i'm aware from his next film onward it's more serious um from what from what i remember so i'm curious to see you know if he were to ever go back to you know doing a comedy again in the future which i don't know if he ever actually i don't know if he ever will i'm curious to see what he would do I'm very curious about that as well, because I think you're right. As far as I know, from here on out after this movie, it's more so serious dramas or mm-hmm. genre pieces that science fiction dramas. But it, it's I'm I'm just very impressed with this writing, how he is able to balance some serious things in life, but also bring some levity to it as well. Um, that's not mm-hmm. something I was expecting from Denis because I've never really seen that before. But he wrote this screenplay all by himself. This is all him. So you can tell he's probably been cooking this screenplay up for quite a while. Uh, one of the other funny lines is, once they land at the airport, Philippe looks at the guy at the rent-a-car and he says, do you know where the desert is? Oh, and the yeah. guy's like, the desert is everywhere. And he's like, oh, <laughs> Okay. I just thought it was yeah. funny. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite aspects, now that the more I'm thinking about it, the more that we're talking about it, is, I mean, you know, these characters, um, mostly with Simone, you know, they, you mentioned in the plot summary that she kind of has like this new outlook on life when she almost dies in a car wreck. Um, and that mm-hmm. kind of seems to be like one of the main themes of this story is, you know, when you're faced with death, you know, what are you going to do about it, right? Simone, in this in this context, she's she almost dies in a car wreck, and so she decides that she wants to have a baby um, for the sole purpose of having a child. So I guess that way her legacy can live on. I guess is a uh, way you can read that. And then with um, with Philippe, you know, he almost dies at the end of the story. Um, he goes along with this and doesn't end up going through with you know with 
we just end up going through with it. And then when we reach the end of the story, um, he almost dies um, by just almost some random act, right? It, it's kind of parallel to how, you know, what happened with Simone in the beginning because, you know, she was run off the road and almost died there. And then with Philippe, he's just walking down the road and a couple of, a bunch of goons come and they beat the crap out of him and put him in a coma, you know, one that he may not come out of as the nurse says. So, you know, there's all, there's like this life and death dichotomy in this film um, where when you're faced with death, you know, how are you going to handle it? And I think that's kind of interesting, you know, given that it's a comedy that they're doing, again, even though it is a comedy and um, Denise goes on to do more serious stuff, this is kind of some serious topic that, you know, Denise is touching on here, but not, you know, taking it in a, uh, in the same light that he would later on. It's taking it more in a lighthearted approach, which I think is, I think it's very interesting. That's the ironic tragedy of the story, is that yeah. her near-death experience you know, gives her this new outlook on life, but it's not just her changing her life. It's her trying to enhance her life by essentially using somebody else. And mm -hmm. through using Philippe, that's the twist is that the beginning of the movie opens with her in a horrible car accident where her car flips and she walks away from it essentially completely unscathed. Whereas now that Philippe is back in Montreal, from the States, he doesn't, uh, he wants to get back to Juliet, it seems like, as, you know, quickly as possible, which leads him to go there in the middle of the night, which means the city is essentially, you know, dead at that point, and he gets mm -hmm. beat up. So now he's in a hospital, and her quest to live life to the fullest, however you want to call it, leads to him nearly losing his life, or at the very least, losing, you know, his youth or young adulthood or whatever at that point uh, it is kind of a tragedy actually for all that comedy that's why i was really surprised how this how the way yeah. this movie ended and so i guess that's something i could commend denis on is like you said it's never really cliche it's never really going along with quite what's expected or even when it does seem to kind of hit this like moment of cliche expectedness it always pulls the rug out from under us and right. it's just like, nope, life really doesn't work that way. And you notice that um, that's when August ends, is when Philippe is beat up. And then when he is in the hospital, then that's when kind of the fantasy comes to an end. Simone has right. to go back to real life. She quit her job. She wants to go out into the desert and make a baby and... Um, they find a body out there that was burned and they go mm -hmm. to a Japanese hotel. And sometimes it feels like it's also something out of like a Wes Anderson movie. Um, yeah. Where it's just really kind of screwball comedy or in a way where it's just really off the wall, but it's just fascinating. So that is the tragedy. Um, but yeah, Denis always keeps you on your feet with it. Um, I do want to ask Alan. Okay. Were you engaged the entire time or did you ever find yourself kind of not terribly engrossed with the movie? I think the only time where I was, I guess it was when I was unsure, um, you know, where this film was going to go and, and kind of started to, you know, go away from it. Would have been when they get to Salt Lake City and they get to the actual Salt Desert. Um and the, this, this scene goes on for a long time where they're just kind of sitting around and nothing's really happening, you know. 
Um, it's supposed to be kind of funny that, you know, you would think that once they get there, they would, you know, or at least uh, uh, Simone would be happy about it, that, you know, finally they're going to make a baby, but uh, they both get there and they're both like, huh. Uh, I don't know, not very uh, romantic and stuff, you know, being out in the middle of the desert. For me, that was, it was that scene, because it does go on longer um, than that, it it kind of get to a point where I'm just like, okay, um, is, are we going to, are we going to do anything else? It, it felt like the film there in the scene just really slowed down for me. And I do get back eventually, um, which I started getting back into the film again um, after they left the desert and started walking on their own down the road. That was, I think, the biggest moment where I'm just, where the film started to wane a little bit for me, where the pacing just kind of started to really slow down, and it, my, you know, my patience was starting to be a little bit tested with this film. But other than that, I mean, I was pretty engrossed for, you know, the entire runtime. It's, again, it's a, it's a short film. It's like an hour and, hardly an hour and a half, so it's, it's short. Yep. Yeah, it's short. I think it's only like 88 minutes. Yeah. Something and like that. that's including credits. So it is a short movie. But I think the thing that I was a little disappointed with is I think they had a really good thing going um, in the Canada scenes. But then mm. once they actually go to Utah, I liked it because it was unexpected. But at the same time, I was kind of worried what kind of movie this was going to become. And you're right. Once they do get out into the desert, it's a really long sequence, probably a little too long. I, I, that's where I started to feel not as engrossed in the plot. And then, of course, they find the dead body, which is interesting, and then they go to the Japanese hotel. Mm -hmm. But I will say mm, probably about halfway through the movie, if not two-thirds, once I'm two-thirds in, at that point, I'm... I think my interest, I'm starting to lose interest and I'm kind of ready for this movie to wrap up. And then it does wrap up in a very unexpected way. Once again, kind of a tragic way. Um, so that's probably my one big knock against the film is that while it is unique and interesting, I, it doesn't keep me engaged the entire way through. Yeah, I could I could agree with that same sentiment. Um, but the biggest thing for me is that you know that's it's also kind of the point that you know they get to the desert and things just kind of slow down for a little bit. But I think that you're right. You know, it slows down a little bit too much for me when they get there, um, because they don't do much after uh, when and you kind of slowly realize that okay, maybe it, maybe it won't end up happening at all. And then she tries again later when they get to that Japanese hotel, which is another thing too. Is you know for and I think part of the reason why it's so boring is. You know, well, you know, it does look very pretty how, you know, Denise shoots this when they get to the salt, uh, the salt desert. Um, there's not really much to that you, not a whole lot that you can do when you have, you know, a completely <laughs> flat surface that's pretty much pure white for miles with some mountains maybe in the distance. Um, you know, it, it does kind of make it, you know, a little bit uh, interesting to shoot when it gets to the scene, which I think maybe hardly, I think partially, um, hurts the film when it comes to its pacing because there isn't much there to really, you know, shoot against. Um, luckily, though, they do move on and um, we do get to that weird Japanese hotel and and things start to get a little bit strange again. But yeah, for this scene, when they go to the desert, it does slow down a bit. Um, and it's unfortunate that that it does do that. So. Yeah, and I will say I'm actually not disappointed that because this whole movie is like when will they mm -hmm. 
make this baby to put it in a PG sense so we don't have to put any uh, explicit tag right. <laughs> on this episode. Right. I'm not I'm never disappointed about that because that's not you come to realize at the end that's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie is in some ways it's almost this like coming of age movie where these two people just kind of you know they can't really commit to a profession or one's a model so it seems somewhat of a fantasy and they feel like as you pointed out earlier alan that life goes on through our legacy and that's the way she sees you know maturity coming mm-hmm. into her life is through motherhood and she's always liked philippe she thinks he would be a good mature father and then you come to realize that sometimes you know when you go too far with the fantasy and you play with people's lives and you don't really take it very seriously because clearly he wrote in that letter to her that he's done with her. Mm. You can see that, you know, people can get hurt and that um, bad things can happen from that. Well, Alan, I'm curious because we've talked about some positives, but we did talk about some things that we were less enthused about. I'm curious how that's going to influence, you know, what you finally say about this movie. So, what is your rating and recommendation for August 32nd on Earth? August 32nd is definitely a film that is unexpected. Um, given, again, one, like I mentioned a little bit ago, given what uh, Denise's track record kind of is, having a comedy be the thing that starts off his, his career is very, very much unexpected, which kind of just carries into the rest of the film. This film is very um, weird very strange, has a lot of dreamlike elements to it. It's very also in itself unexpected. And again, that's just its own strength is, you know, because it is so weird, it doesn't really ride on many cliches that, you know, usually could happen with, you know, your beginning filmmaker. Um, It makes this film rather enjoyable. And while it does slow it down for a, a portion of the film, it's not necessarily anything that I think brings down the whole film, you know, on its own anyways, you know. So I would say that, yeah, August 32nd on Earth is a, it's a surprise, you know, given how, you know, how much, uh, you know, accolades it even ended up getting because it made it into Cannes, which are in and of itself, just making it into Cannes is a big deal. So, yeah, I ended up really enjoying August 32nd. And I honestly, if I could ever get my hands on it, I would like to own it. But I know that, that uh, that's probably going to be harder said than done. So I'm going to give August 32nd a 7 out of 10. I'm going to recommend it. I'm very surprised by it, and I really enjoyed it. August 32nd on Earth is unsurprisingly a well-put-together directorial debut from Villeneuve. His writing, direction, editing, lighting, and camera work suggests someone who's been doing this for a while. But how professional this first outing is shows promise of greatness to come. Especially the lighting and camera work. How he places cameras really high, or framing the characters on their level, creating a sense of claustrophobia or uncertainty about what direction they're going to take in life. But as I said, there's greatness to come. While the writing is captivating, the acting is compelling, and the story is unpredictable, I never found myself entirely engaged or necessarily caring about Simone and Philippe. Particularly that ending. It's unexpected, but what's supposed to leave me with the heartfelt emotion doesn't quite get there. August 32nd on Earth receives 6 stars out of 10 with a very mild recommend. So, I agree with Alan. If it ever releases on Blu-ray or DVD, 
heck, even digital, I would definitely add it to my collection. As of right now, it's nigh impossible to get your hands on a copy. Unfortunately, I'm I'm still so confused because Denis has become such a big director. I'm really waiting for a Denis box set or something to come out or for them to re-release yep. these movies. I yeah. don't, I mean, I don't think they would sell like gangbusters, but I know a lot of people would be curious to go back and check out his early works. And there's people like us that would want to add it to his collection. So yeah, me and Alan were both picking it up, but uh, that remains to be seen when that will be possible. Yeah. Um, as of right now, I think maybe if you're in Canada, you might be able to get, I have an easier time getting your hands on it. <laughs> um, but I know that at some point there was some DVD release that had it, uh, according to the cover art on IMDb for this. Um, as to where you can get it and if it, if if it's Region A, which I think Canada is Region A, but if you can find something that's Region A that has this on it, um, I'd be very surprised. Don't think it's going to be uh, easy to get your hands on. <laughs> no, not right now, but hopefully someday. Mm -hmm. But Alan, I am curious, what else do you recommend our listeners check out? So I already mentioned Mahon Drive, so I'm going to mention it again here. Uh, I think that, you know, this film does remind me a lot of Mahon Drive, mostly with just the opening. Now, they are very different films. Mahon Drive is a very serious drama, um, whereas this one is very much not that necessarily the, the same case. So I'm going to recommend those two. The other one I'm going to recommend might be a little bit of a strange recommendation. Um, but hear me out. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Okay. <laughs> this one is about also about a trip um, of a different kind, I suppose. But they have they share some similar qualities, I would say, with some of the visuals that they have at times. Um, now, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is one that uh, is very interesting. Um, it is mostly you know visualizing what it what it means to be on a drug trip, but. <laughs> they have some similarities between the two of them, I would say. Is that is that the Johnny Depp one? That is, yeah. I have not seen it yet. It's very interesting. I very I gotta weird. check it out. So my recommendations, my first one uh might take uh might take some of you by surprise. I am going to be recommending it's a mad, 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 mad world. And that the is reason an interesting recommendation. <laughs> the reason I'm recommending that is I definitely got those vibes when they're going from Montreal to the United States, and it's just kind of a strange journey nonetheless. So I think if you want something that's even more meant to be a comedy and even more of a like a journey film, like a cross-country type film, definitely got those vibes here in this movie, but Mad Mad World's the way to go. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to be recommending Chris Evans' one and only directed film called Before We Go, which came out in 2014. And it gives a similar vibe of these two kind of star-crossed lovers who meet one night in New York. And then it's just a whole night of, you know, falling in love and wondering where life will take them. Now, once again, that's not a new concept. And I don't think this... The heart of this concept of these two people that kind of have fallen in love and they're not sure what to do. I mean, for Pete's sakes, Philippe's girlfriend's name is Juliet. I mean, just mm -hmm. going all the way back to Romeo and Juliet, star-crossed lover type stuff. But um, I haven't seen it, so I can't recommend it. But I know there's the Before trilogy. Have you heard of that, Alan? 
Yes, I have. Um, I really need to see it because I hear they're like the, from what I've heard, some people consider it to be like the quintessential romance uh, movies. Really want to see it. Yeah, it's uh, Richard Linklater, um, Ethan Hawke films. The first one is Before Sunrise. That came out in 95, so it's uh, very much a contemporary. You know, Vin Villeneuve would have seen this as a contemporary of this movie. Um, and I'm also going to finally be recommending Begin Again with Mark Ruffalo, Kira Knightley, and Adam Levine, believe it or not. Um, really? Yeah, he actually wrote an Oscar-nominated song um, called Lost Stars. I adore that song. I listen to it frequently. Begin Again is actually currently streaming free on IMDb TV right now. So that, of all my recommendations, that one is the most accessible. Um, it's free. Check it out. Um, Begin Again just gave me some of those vibes as well about beginning again with love. And maybe the person you thought you loved is kind of using you and you're not really sure mm. what to do about that. Check out Begin Again. It's a really wonderful film. Great music as well. So there is something interesting about uh, August 32nd on Earth. It's not Denise first technical direct uh i guess directorial debut i guess you could say um it's the first one that he, that he did on his own um but there was a film before this called cosmos which i think was directed by a number of people that he was also included in that but it just came out two years prior um mm. i haven't seen it i'm gonna try and watch it at some point during this retrospective so we can talk about it but yeah apparently his career didn't really he didn't completely begin i mean it began as you know him on his own but it uh started when he working with some other directors a couple years prior so i'm curious to see what that one's about that one is also uh, hard to get your hands on um same with this one yeah i'm curious about that as well i know we've looked into it but since it's technically not a denis villeneuve film he's just from what it sounds like he's done a segment in it mm -hmm. this christopher nolan has done the same thing um with one or two other things but we didn't review those because they're not technically christopher nolan movies but yeah you're right that is interesting he did have a small opportunity to try his hand at directing and then clearly he came on for his feature film directorial debut here with this film but he showed no signs of stopping he's his next film maelstrom which came out friday september 15th 2000 came out just two years later um so you could see he got right to work on it it's only 87 minutes it is his um second shortest film um very short and this one actually did get the r rating which would kick off aside from polytechnique which is also not rated but from there on out his films would be rated r until more recently when he had his first pg-13 movie arrival and then um blade runner blade runners r also dune is pg-13 yeah mm-hmm so, yeah, kind of going that Christopher Nolan route there as well. Nolan's first three films are R until he became mainstream PG-13 all the way. I'm wondering if now that um, Nolan has left, it's just a side thought. I wonder if now that Nolan's left Warner Brothers, if he'll make an R-rated movie. I don't know. I'd be curious. That would be interesting. That'd be very interesting. Well, Alan, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, the question after the show is... 
If you had a near-death experience, would you live life to its fullest or just be more precautious? Uh, I don't know. For me, I, I think I might just be more precautious. <laughs> yeah. I think I probably would too. I think yeah. I'm with you. I don't think I would drag somebody out to the salt flats and to a different country. Probably mm -hmm. not the best idea. But listeners who want to know what you think, maybe you would do the opposite of us. Maybe you would uh, maybe you would do what Philip and Simone do, Philippe and Simone, and you would go have some extravagant adventure. I'm very curious to know what uh, what our listeners think of that. Well, listeners, it's been a uh, it's been interesting. Mm -hmm. And especially because this movie is all in French. Silver Screen Guide is no stranger to foreign films we've done. Uh, we've reviewed a number of Japanese films. Um, I don't think we've reviewed a French film before, like all French. Uh, French-Canadian, if you want to get really technical about it. But I mean, Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only French film we've done, to my knowledge, would have been the Taken Trilogy. That's technically French. I guess. Yeah. Not, it's not English. But. That is true. It is. Tech, those are technically French films, but all in English. So yeah, that's a good point. But as far as like strictly French goes, like, this might be our first time, actually, I think. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's subtitles. We don't speak French. All right, listeners. We will see you next week with Maelstrom. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Um, that's all my notes. Um, I think I have a couple of things we can still talk about. Let's see what I got here. See what we didn't talk about. <laughs> well, no, I guess I don't have much because we've already talked about everything <laughs> I've got here. <laughs> so.
I told you the other day, I'm like, I don't think it'll be a very long review. Mm-hmm. 